The bullying will stop. You will be absolutely okay. That all of that has served as a foundation for your compassion, for you standing up for people, for you digging deeper. It is going to be okay. You got this. Good afternoon, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Today, I am really excited to introduce you to a very powerful woman who, when we were talking before we started recording, talked to me about some of the key takeaways from what she's learned and is going to share with us. And I'm really excited because for me, they're all the things that touch on what is interesting and important to me right now personally. So I'm excited to learn along with everybody else today. And our guest is Francois Booker-Drew. Did I do that right? You did it. Yes. Okay. So, and I also got schooled on something. She is from what us Northerners or Californians all learned was Louisiana, but I was schooled a few years ago that it's Louisiana, and she yes. just confirmed for me that it's Louisiana. <laughs> but, but I see it for you all. You accommodate us, right? Yes. <laughs> Francois, will you talk to us? The name of your business is Solstice, but it's spelled Solstice, S-O-U-L. Will you talk a little bit about the genesis of that and where that came from and what you're about? And then give us first a little bit of background of yourself. Okay. Well, you know, I came up with the name of the business because of the summer and winter solstice. And when we think about those things, people typically are cleaning out closets, you know, or doing something special. And I thought, I want to do something that changes people's lives because the solstice seems to do that for so many people. And it, it signifies something new and different is happening. So I thought, why don't we call the business S-O-U-L, where it would change souls, that when I came in contact with people, that their spirits would be different because of the interaction we had together. And that's how I came up with the name of the business. Something, as my daughter says, is guruish. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, well, you asked about, you know, a little of my background. As you mentioned, I grew up in, I want to say Louisiana for, for everybody listening, but Louisiana. And I grew up in a place that was so family oriented and I saw relationships happening so young. And I didn't realize that all of those relationships were going to be the foundation for what I do and what I talk about now. And so in a couple of words, if you ask, you know, who am I? I'm a relationship junkie. What does <laughs> that mean? Do you collect relationships? Like, what's that mean? I love connecting people to one another. There is such a power in helping people not just do this transactional thing of, I'm going to give you a business card and we're going to connect and talk to each other over coffee. That's cool. But ultimately, how do relationships transform us? How is it that when we connect to each other that, you know, our lives are different, whether that's personal or professional, that's the thing that gets me excited. So that's what I do. I spend so much time connecting people to each other because I like to see lives changed. So give me some concrete examples of how you've done that in the last 
three weeks, just the last Oh my goodness. So for lunch today, I was sitting down with a friend who has started this amazing nonprofit that connects men and boys. He's been all over the news for bringing all these men to this school that they had more men than boys. And he wanted to show that they're men who care about young boys and their education. And so just in that meeting, I sat down and said, hey, you need to contact this person who's in San Diego and is doing some great work. You need to look at this family foundation that not only funds this kind of work, but also they do a lot of reports and research on this. And then I started naming other sources of funding and people that I knew. There's a huge conference coming to Dallas and I wanted him to know the executive director who's somewhere up north that I just met and I wanted to connect them. So I spend a lot of my time just helping people think about Again, not just always professional, but thinking about how can they build these relationships that help take their ideas, their businesses, nonprofits, their lives to the next level. So I do that all the time. I could give you so many examples. That's why I'm a junkie. Because <laughs> you just can't get enough. Yes. It's neat to see the light bulb go off. You know, I, I think sometimes people always feel like money is the resource that they need. And not to say that it is not. But money comes through the relationships. It just doesn't fall out of the sky, which it did. Or as my daughter thought, it grows on trees. It's through people. And so how do we help people begin to build these relationships, connect to others so that they can tell their stories? And that's when you begin to see change happen. So let me do a little connection back for you on that. So the example of who you had lunch with and you were talking to him about now how he can level that up, right? Because mm-hmm. of his story of getting all those many men there that outnumbered the boys. Yes. That story has been shared in my circle multiple times. So when people said, well, I can't, you know, I don't know why people don't show up. And then, but then here's this example of this guy who did this and all these men showed up and I said, right, people show up. You just have to give them something concrete and meaningful. Yes. yes. But just, I just want you to know, we've actually been connected then in this space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just did it. So I need to connect you to him. <laughs> I would love to meet him. And I, I will do that. Interview him. You just get that set up. That's I will that do that. So I'll put it on and my maybe list. you put it on your list and maybe you should be part of that interview so we can have a fun little chat. I would love that. I'll make that happen. See, we're doing it now. I know. I know. I get, so when you say you're a junkie for connections, I am too. I'm just not that organized. So I'm not going to overpromise that I can make certain things happen right away. But now you've got books out. Yes. So talk a little bit about what your most recent book is and the premise of it. Okay. I am working on one now, but the most recent one that's published is a devotional for women. And this is how that started. I went on a silent retreat. Every couple of years, I will go to a monastery. And actually in June, I went to a convent and I spent three days in silence. And that experience was amazing for me because sometimes you get so busy in the just life stuff that you can't hear yourself think. And so I decided to take a group of women on a silent retreat. Now, keep in mind, this is the hardest thing to do is to get a group of women who really love to talk to be silent. So let me say this. It was a challenge, but we made it work. So I would have these facilitated conversations with them. And and then I would send them on these, you know, journal writing escapades where they would write and then come back and talk. And then I would have to go be quiet. It's time to be in silence again. 
It was so hard. But after the retreat, they really bonded. And after the retreat, I started sending them these little inspirational devotionals about, you know, what does it look like to be in community? with people? What does it look like to really develop your goals? And it, it turned out that the book is called Ready for a Revolution, 30 Days to Jolt Your Life. And it's just all these things to just help people really short, but primarily targeted to women to get them excited about life. And they don't have to go on a silence retreat to do this. This was just the result of me doing this for this group of women and the power of their conversations in that space made me want to put something together. So it's a little spiritual, but it really is designed to make people and women, you know, again, to think about where they want their lives to go. So what that's you, the first one. What did you <laughs> see? The second one. Well, yeah. We'll go back to the first one and the one you're working on now. But I'm curious to learn when you went on the retreat and then women came to share when you allowed them to speak, <laughs> what kinds of shifts did you see people make over that time? You know, I saw people one, have space to reflect. And I think in our society, whether that is business or in our personal lives, there is not a lot of space for reflection and feedback. And so you don't get the opportunity to process. So I saw a lot of women having the opportunity because of the facilitated conversations and the prompts where you're not just sitting in a room going, okay, what do I do? I'm bored and letting your mind wander. But having these prompts to think about stuff, I don't think we have those spaces. So that was one of the things that I noticed. But two, I noticed the community because you have all of these women who are coming together who are saying, I need this space. And now I'm with other people who are saying they need this kind of space too. What is so amazing with this group of women, and I'll talk about the other group that the first book is based on, they still stay in contact with each other. And so to watch relationships develop that are beyond just this event, that people are now speaking into one another's lives and that they have these friendships, you know, that that was a couple of years ago. To watch them have that experience for me said, I need to do more of these retreats. So at some point I will start doing them again. But that was very powerful to me. And the power of silence and community, how does that go together? But it does. Don't you feel like when you have an opportunity to be quiet, you actually feel more connected to others? Yes. I mean, it's weird, but it's true. And I think we don't have spaces for that anymore with technology and social media. I think people are so on all the time that they aren't refreshing and replenishing. And so it's hard to pour out and give to people when you don't do that for yourself. I always give the example about when you're on an airplane and they tell you, put your mask on first before you start helping other people. And I think we forget that somewhere beyond the airplane of our lives of how do you take these opportunities to disconnect and to put your own mask on and to be quiet and and take care of you so that you can be there for the people who need you. So before we move on to your first book, how big a group was the set that you went on the retreat with? There were probably, I think we had 12 women. And did they know one another? No. Okay. No. So isn't it cool how people connect when they're allowed space to do it? Yes. For you. And we don't have those anymore. You know, I think about the work of Putnam and I always reference him. Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone in 2010. And he talks about how there was a time when people used to bowl, had bowling leagues. And I remember as a kid, my aunt would take me with her. And I thought it was the craziest thing. I'm like watching these people drink beer, but I didn't realize how they were connecting to each other. They were telling 
you know, one another, hey, your car is broken. You need to go to my mechanic. Tell him I told you to come or, hey, there's a job at my company. I'm going to put a word in for you to do that. And what Putnam is saying is we don't have that anymore because, you know, I think about the front porch. When I was a kid, there were these front porches. So you saw everybody in the community and you could connect. Well, now you drive in your garage and you don't even know who your neighbors are. My daughter's friend had a teacher pass away. They didn't know this lady was dead for three days. How does that happen? Because we're not in community anymore. And we're even as connected as we are with technology. We really aren't. Right. It's different. It's very different. It's very different. And it's also, it can be very distant. As animated, like you have access, but no real access. There's not intimacy. There you go. That's the word. Yep. Intimacy. So what was your first book? So the first one, another group of women I brought together and I was working on my PhD. And while working on my PhD, I did that book and people are like, what were you thinking? I don't know. But I brought a group of women together and I wanted to see if they could build social capital. And if these diverse women would come together and talk to each other, I knew them all, but they didn't all know each other. And I remember sitting there crying, listening to these powerful stories that these women were telling. And, you know, I'm looking going, I know you, but I didn't know this piece about you. And you're comfortable in this community to share these really intimate facts about your life. And that did something for me because it, again, a light bulb went off and went, wow, women really don't have these spaces to be authentic. You know, it's coming in with the business card and the power suit and and trying to, you know, command the room. And there's not always a space for authenticity. And I wrote that book based on the stories that I heard these women tell and my own personal stories. And it's called Rules of Engagement, Making Connections Last. And it's like, it's a workbook too. I'm really big on the workbook thing. And because I like people to reflect and think, but the whole book has these rules, 29 rules to have you think about how are you building connections that will help you both personally and professionally. And it's to get you to think about your own story and how does your story attract people or repel people? Because I hear a lot of people going, well, you know, I can't find great friends and no one likes me. Well, you might be getting what you actually are putting out. And so it's getting folks to think about the story. When I changed my narrative about women, because I remember as a young woman having bad experiences and I attracted more of that. When my narrative changed, I have the most amazing tribe of women of all shades and ethnicities and sizes and religion, you name it. And my tribe is amazing. But that's because I changed the narrative and then I began to attract the people that I really needed in my life. So that was that book, right? Yes. That was your first book. Yes. My goodness, you've been all over the map here so far. (laughs) I mean, there's a theme. Now I totally get why you call it solstice. Yes. Right. But you start talked a little bit about the power of stories and narrative, but can you talk more about how you help people think differently about their narrative and see it in the story they're creating or have created? Well, you know, the narrative is very interesting because it's constantly evolving. Our narratives are tied to our identities. And so the stories that we tell about ourselves, I can tell a lot about a person just based on the story that they tell about themselves. Are they victims or are they victors? And so there is something to be said, and all of us have stories. I think that's where the disconnect happens. And you see right now we're in a society where there's so much conflict and this angry discourse. 
And I think what has happened is the narrative is missing where people have the chance to really be authentic and share who they are because you can connect regardless of the differences. You don't have to agree. But I found in the first group of women that even though they may not have understood the experience, they connected to the emotion. So when you had women who were saying, you know, I remember one young woman was talking about her mother was on drugs and the loss she experienced. I don't know what that's like personally have a a mother that's dealing with that issue, but I can imagine the loss that that would have to a young woman. It's the emotion that connects us. And because we don't have those spaces to share our identities in an authentic way and not being defensive and trying to protect it and guard it, we need these opportunities for cognitive dissonance. Big academic term that basically is we need to crash. How do you have these experiences that make you go, is my narrative really that bad? Is it really that great? Wow, because you're telling me something that's totally opposed to what I'm thinking. Let me reevaluate. What many people do is when they're in that situation is they run from the challenge of questioning their narrative and what they believe instead of embracing the uncomfortableness and trying to understand more. That's what we need more so that people can begin to explore their identities and explore who they are in community. So did I actually hear you say we need more cognitive dissonance? Yes. Okay, well, that just sucks. It's it's hard. It's hard. It is the most painful thing. It is. I've had it happen where, you know, I had certain beliefs and there were people that came into my life who I had to sit back and go, wow, but I love you. I may not agree with this, but I really love you. So now I'm having to question that, especially around religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. That's a hard part because, again, that's your identity. That's the core of who you are. And if that changes, what do you do? Who are you now? And it's hard for people. And I think in a, this society, and I tell my daughter this all the time, we've been conditioned to believe that everything is either or. Well, sometimes it's this both and stuff that's happening and wrestling with that ambiguity of, oh my God, I believe this, but that is totally opposed to it. Why can't they both exist at the same time? That's the hard part. It is to be comfortable in gray. Yes. Right? It's like, it's not this, it's not this, it's a little of each, or maybe it's none of each. Yes. Right. But, and you're right. I tease you about that sucking, having more cognitive dissonance, but honestly, personally, that's where the growth has come from. It's like, This doesn't work. I don't know why it doesn't work, but you have to dig deep to figure it out. Yes. And you might not figure it out right away. Or ever. (laughs) No, don't say that. I mean, it's on it because that's the part of the life journey. Yeah. It's this discovery piece. I mean, even now I'm looking at myself going, there are things I thought I really liked at a certain age. And now I'm going, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. That's weird. That's part of the journey is this exploration and being comfortable with that. And most of us are not. Well, and there's the comfort of sameness, right? Knowing you can predict and experience and not have to be afraid and all those kinds of things. But that is not congruent with your business name, right? (laughs) Which every six months says there's a renewal of sorts, right? But it is because that is the change. Right. That's what I mean. It's like your business is all about that. Like, hey, you're going to renew. There's something new. Every day. Right. When you think about the narrative, and do you work one-on-one with people? Let me ask you that, because my question that I'm going to ask you is tied to that. Yes, there are times when I've done a lot of coaching, and most of the coaching is around this concept called immunity to change. So there is this amazing work by these two Harvard professors called Keegan and Leahy. 
The book is called Immunity to Change. And what they talk about is we have been taught an adult development theory that people cannot change when they get older. I mean, I hear my mom say that all the time. Well, I'm old. I'm not going to change. And it's like, okay, that's a choice, but I'm going to let you believe that, mama, whatever you want to do. I don't want to argue. But they've proven that people can change. And they talk about these mindsets that people have. And I won't go into too much detail about it, but they came up with something called an immunity map. And what this is, is it's like an x-ray. What we've been conditioned to do in our thinking is we have these tapes that at one time the tapes worked for us. They were protecting us. Well, now they don't serve us well. So, you know, they talk about there's this thing called technical change and adaptive change. The technical change is I can fix it because it's easy. The adaptive ones are the hard ones to change in the way that we think. And so that's weight loss. It's stopping smoking. We all know that we may need to do those things, but if it were that easy, it'd be a technical challenge. We just one, two, three, do this. But there's something in our behaviors and our loyalties and our thinking that stops us from doing it. And so I take people through the immunity map and look at what it is that they want to improve upon and then talk about this thing that they call competing commitments. You want to lose weight, but there's something in your head that's telling you, you know, you want that chicken fried chicken. Is delicious. Go get it. And so you have to begin to start unraveling what it is that is causing that. And it's looking at what they call a worry box. What worries you about this actual improvement goal? If it really happened, what does it make you feel like? And then they do this piece called big assumptions that if this goal happened, what is it that you expect? Meaning if the rug was pulled out from under you, what's the worst thing that could happen if this goal happens? And that's where you begin to start thinking about your thinking. So I take people through those activities to think about what's keeping them from the change that they want to see in their lives. And again, it's tied to identity. It's tied to that narrative of how we see ourselves. Interesting about that because of how powerful and the concept of right the technical change, the adaptive change, and embedded in there is a sense of potential loss, right? Yes. Change, I may lose something. And I might not even be aware of what I might be afraid of losing. I mean, I went through it. I remember the first time I did one and mine was weight loss. And I remember it hit me like a ton of bricks because the tape that was playing for me was every time I lost weight, something bad happened. I got sick one time and had to, you know, go see a lot of doctors because I was training for a half marathon. The other time it was dumb because my dad was dying of cancer and who would diet during, you know, that time, but that's when I was dieting. And so in my head, it was, oh my God, if you diet, something bad's going to happen. Well, Dodo Bird, you shouldn't have probably done that, you know, in this time that you're grieving and, and dealing with that situation. So when I unpacked that, I realized, oh my God, I have this fear of I'm going to lose something, mm-hmm. either myself or someone that I love if I do this, because those are the tapes. And at the time they were protecting me, but they really weren't serving me well. So that's pretty powerful work to be doing. Yes. One of the questions that our listeners want me to ask everybody is, how do you, when you're faced with a challenge and something that kind of sets you back on your heels, how do you handle that? What Do you have a thought process? I mean, just how do you manage that for yourself? You know, when I'm in a situation where I'm thrown off, it's embracing how I feel at that moment. I think so often we're so ready to come up with a plan and it's dealing with the emotion of what we're going through and why does it make us feel the way that we do? I'm having to ask myself those questions a lot more now as to why something bothers me the way that it does. 
and getting to the bottom of it instead of initially wanting to respond. It's okay. So why do do I feel this way? And I'm learning to take a step back and breathe and sit with what's going on. Example, you know, my daughter just left for college. It's my only child. She's in New Jersey. I'm in Texas. That's one of the most difficult things to do. And it was like, my life has been, you know, taking care of this kid who's now an adult and is having to make decisions, or at least we perceive to be an adult. She's called six times in one day already. But even in that, that's been a difficult challenge because now it's trying to figure out, okay, so what does this look like, this next piece? I am embracing it, not making immediate decisions and sitting in this space of what does it feel like not to have her around me? I think, you know, for me, I at, at this point in my life, I am learning that bad things or what we think are bad things often have a blessing attached to them. And so it's looking for what's the silver lining and whatever it is we're going through. And at the time, you don't always see that, but it's always being optimistic to know that there is something that is going to come out of it for my good, always. So now that you're learning that at this age, Mm -hmm. I want you to go back to when you were five or six, maybe preteen, anywhere in there. And now you have this wisdom. What advice would you give the young Francois? The bullying will stop. You will be absolutely okay. That all of that has served as a foundation for your compassion, for you standing up for people, for you digging deeper. It is going to be okay. You got this. That's what I would say to her. Oh, I love it. I love it. So where can people connect with you? Because I think, well, anywhere they find you, I'm imagining is a connection point for you. But (laughs) people want to find you. Are you on social media? Should they go to your website? Where would you love people to reach you? You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me. It's like the only Francois on Facebook. You can go to my website, francoisrules.com. That's the easiest place. I tend to respond immediately on the website. There's a way where you can do comments. I respond immediately to emails. So I'm easy and accessible to get in contact with. And I love being able to have those kinds of conversations and connect to people, whether it's coaching them, you know, or even just connecting them to resources. I'm glad to be able to help make people's lives a little bit brighter. Okay, and I want you to to recognize that you promised me you'd co-host a show with me, right? I would love to. Okay, (laughs) you're going to reach out to your pal there and we're going to set it up. It's on my little slip of subway paper, (laughs) on my receipt. (laughs) That would be so fun. So any last words of wisdom you want to share before we head out for the afternoon? I want people to connect. There is a power in building relationships. And so whether it's getting on groups like meetup.com, there's this new app that I just found that's this great relationship builder. I'm going to tell you the name of it real quickly because it's the coolest thing. It's S-H-A-P-R, which is this wonderful, it's like LinkedIn on steroids. You know, how do you begin to, in your local communities, begin to build these relationships that can create the transformation that you want to see? I love it. I'm going to check it out because I'm kind of hooked on that kind of stuff. <laughs> as much as I like interpersonal stuff, I do like the tools that help it make it easier for us to find people. Yes, this so. thing is amazing. So you got to try it. 
I'm going to check it out. So thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon and for you to be a guest. And I just know that our listeners are going to be so much better off from having met you via the podcast. But I have some ideas percolating in the back of my head that will involve you. So be ready. Yay. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be on your show. So thank you. You are welcome. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you like what you heard. And if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, and no excuses life. Thank you.